This is The Bittersweet Life. If you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. I'm Katie Sewell. I've been in the radio business for nearly 20 years, mostly working for public radio in the United States. In 2013, I quit my stable job and I moved to Rome for just a year. That's where this podcast begins. And if you're new, don't be afraid to start at the beginning. I'd hate for you to miss out on the adventure. That adventure might inspire you to do something crazy, like quit your stable job and move to Rome for just one year. And my co-host is Tiffany Parks. She's a writer and author of Midnight in the Piazza. And she's also an expat who moved to Rome over a decade ago with the determination to stay whatever it took. She's also my childhood friend. I met her on the school bus in the sixth grade. I hope you like the show, and if you do, tell a friend and take the time to write us a review. And if you've listened to the show for years, consider a donation. Your financial support is huge to us. In fact, I can't think of a donation to anywhere that would be more appreciated than what it will be to us. We'll send you a handwritten thank you note. And in addition to helping us pay hosting fees and other bills, your support will help us grow the show, which is absolutely the key to this program continuing in the years to come. So if you love it, if we make your life a little better, please pay whatever you can to support the art that you enjoy. Visit thebittersweetlife.net on your desktop and click the donate button. Or tweet us at bittersweetpod and we'll send you a link. Thank you so much. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but I am in San Francisco joined by a former guest, although you have a new last name. Do you want to introduce yourself? I do. I'm Lori Lee Elliott. I know. You were Lori Lee M. She last time we talked. What happened? You got married or? Yes, I got married. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to tell us anything about that or before we introduce the further topic that we're going to talk about sure so i'm an expat living in the united states i'm from new zealand by way of canada and last year my now husband and i got married in south carolina and how did you meet him we met in australia when we were both there on expat assignments at working for the same company for people who don't remember you, I have to go back and look up what episode you were on before. I should have done that before we started, but I'll put a link. You came on last time to give us some tips about being a successful expat in different places because you've lived in so many different locations, but maybe just to bring people up to speed if they don't remember you, just a little bit more about your background. How many times would you say you moved? That kind of thing. I'll have to fact check myself what I said on the last episode, but it was something like I've lived in 12 or 13 different countries and moved 24 times. Wow. And so what, you're 55? No. (laughs) (laughs) I feel 55, um, sometimes 60. No, I just turned 28. So that's a lot. Generally speaking, you only stay in a place about a year. Yeah, a year to 18 months. And then because we move for work, we have to pack up and move again. And that's sort of the preferred lifestyle for you, right? Right now, you've been stuck in the same location for, what, going on three years, and that's very unusual. Yeah, we've been in Houston for three years now, and that is definitely not normal. We were saying earlier that the longest I've stayed anywhere was for four years when I was doing my undergrad, and that was in Toronto. So 
kind of itching to go somewhere else but at the same time like it's kind of like if things are going well maybe we should just you know leave that alone yeah, so maybe you'll end up being rooted somewhere for a good long time it could happen we we bought a house oh, like that was a lot of anxiety around doing that as well because that's a huge thing like it's putting roots down buying a house and then after we bought the house we realized actually it's not that hard of a thing to do like <laughs> maybe we should have done this earlier yeah you can always get rid of it or rent it is what everybody always says if you're willing to put up with being an absentee landlord which I've always thought sounds tiring yeah I, that was one of the conditions of buying the house we don't get that much notice when we have to move somewhere so I'm like if we get 30 days notice and we need to fill this place with renters we are giving this to a property management company to take care of because I know people do it but to me the idea of having to take care of renters in Houston when you're in Malaysia or Kazakhstan or something just seemed like way too much for me. Why do you get such short notice? That sounds uh, like it would be alarming for some people. 30 days you have to end your life and go again. It is alarming. Yeah, every, every time. <laughs> is it really? Is it always sort of a bittersweet moment? It is. It has actually is a truly bittersweet moment because you're really excited that you're gonna, you're going somewhere else and it's happening right now and you have to go and pack and like figure things out. And then it's also, you know, kind of bitter because you're leaving behind whatever you'd built up and you don't always get time to say goodbye properly. And there's always things about wherever you're living that you know you're going to miss. So that part is difficult. But the 30 days notice, if Sometimes it's like 90 days if they're being really generous, but the industry we work in just moves really quickly. And when a project gets going, decisions are made really fast and that's what you get. Yeah, wow. Just because I think the last time we talked, I was still living in Seattle. I know that for sure. I don't think I had gone to New Orleans yet either. So I was kind of rooted, I think, in Seattle. I have since, since moving to San Francisco and jumping around the world, going to Rome, going to New Orleans, all these things, have gotten a little bit of change fatigue and not that I am still not curious about the world, but I get fatigue about meeting new people and trying to start again. And it's certainly been difficult down here. Do you get that? Or are you so used to it because you've been moving for your whole life? Is it, is it different for you? No, I don't think so. I feel the same way. It wasn't as bad when I was a kid because when you show up at a new school, you kind of have a built in, like here's a group of your peers to go hang out with, like have fun. Uh, but since I left school and now that I'm an adult, it has taken me a lot longer every time I move somewhere new to find new friends. And I did a stint in Los Angeles and I was there for 14 months. And it was right at the 12 month mark where I started to actually go out and like start making friends, doing things socially. And then two months later, I had to leave. So luckily in Houston, there's a lot of expats that I worked overseas with that have all moved home. So I had a bit of a built-in friend network there, which was really nice and definitely does not usually happen. So yeah, it, it doesn't, for me anyway, it hasn't gotten easier over time, but I, there is less anxiety around when you go somewhere new and you've been there for like, oh, it's been four months and I still don't have a friend. It's not as anxiety provoking as it used to be because I know it's normal it's okay. All of these moves alone. And presumably now you'll be moving with somebody else all the time. Does that change the outlook of things? A little bit. I think it's less stressful when you have someone else helping you. But then at the same time, you now have double the stuff to deal, to move <laughs> and deal with. And that's for me, the practical part of actually executing a move and going somewhere. For me, the most stressful thing 
isn't like dealing with a new culture or having to go on a long airplane flight. It's dealing with all the stuff because every time, it doesn't matter how many times we move, we always accumulate things and then having to pack them up and store them and make sure they're taken care of and make sure you don't throw away the family heirlooms that you've been, you know, holding on to. It's very stressful. So like that's, <laughs> that was the only confounding factor, but I think it is easier to move when you have someone else there with you. So the thing we actually wanted to talk about is that you're an expat, always on the move, and yet you're trying to start a business. And and a lot of expats and a lot of people uh, who listen who are actually in the United States thinking about becoming an expat, the way that they're doing that is by trying to figure out a business, something that they can use to support themselves as they move around. Let's just talk about it. What are you trying to do and how are you going about it? But what are you trying to do? So we are building an augmented reality software company. And what augmented reality is, is it's when you take digital information and you overlay it on your field of view. So the classic example, if you ever saw Pokemon Go, where kids were running around, and sometimes adults, <laughs> sometimes myself, with... <laughs> with a cell phone and uh, making little Pokemon appear on the ground in front of them or on the table. That's basically what the software does. It just takes something digital and makes it look like it's in your real world. And we're taking that kind of application and applying it to your workplace, specifically industrial workplaces. And actually, if you go and look online, manufacturing has is already quite a ways ahead with AR helping people on manufacturing lines to like look at procedures and things so they can see the written text of what they need to do while they're doing it. Which is pretty great. So rather than pulling out a manual, it's that you are there alone doing it yourself. That's the goal, right? That's the goal. And there's a lot of different ways you can accomplish that. We're taking a blend of having text instructions, but then also animations and visuals that help turn that clunky printed out paper manual into something digital that's actually nice to look at. And then with AR, you can do other cool things like have remote support. So you can have someone, if you're wearing AR glasses, look at what you're looking at and then give you annotations on your field of view. Like, hey, look at this dial or look at that cable or don't connect this cable to that cable. Those sort of things. Yeah. Well, you gave me a great example that everybody would be able to picture. You said it was a dumb example, but it's a great example of what the average person, say I'm not repairing a generator, what could an average person use this for? So I had to come up with this example when I was talking to an investor and I was put on the spot and this was, I don't know why, but the first thing that came to mind, if you wanted to make muffins and you were looking for a great muffin recipe, or tutorial, you could pull up such a tutorial from a creator like Sally Muffin Maker 97 has a great muffin making tutorial. And with this kind of platform, you would be able to see all of the ingredients and the text instructions on how to make these muffins. But then you could also see visual aids like how to properly mix the batter or how to do a perfect pour into the muffin pan or and things like that. The great thing about AR is if we put it on AR glasses, you can do all of this hands-free. So you can look at all of these instructions that are coming at you, but you can still see your kitchen counter. So you can do them both at the same time. Which sounds like so much fun. I, I really, really like that idea. So you are working with a couple other women that you've met along the way. Tell me about who your partners are. Yeah, so I'm working with Sophia Lazaro. She is our chief product officer and Vina Somreddy, who is our chief technical officer. 
what's interesting about our little founding team is that Vina and I are both expats living in the United States. Actually, Vina recently became a permanent resident and Sophia is a dual citizen. And where are they from? So Vina is from India and Sophia was born in the United States, but she's also a resident of Spain. Why is it important that you guys are all expats, sort of expats? See a lot of expats in the entrepreneurial world. And I'm sure there are lots of different reasons for that, but why it's important was it was an experience setting up a U.S. company where more than half of your founding team are not Americans. What are some of the things you had to go through? It wasn't as much as I thought, but we we pretty much had to hire a lawyer to do everything for us. And because we are trying to do a venture scale company, which means like we want to have lots and lots of employees and scale very quickly, we had to incorporate in Delaware. And we did this so that if we ever wanted to take on investor funding, we can do that. So we had to get a lawyer because we were all living in Texas to help us with the filing in Delaware and go through all of that. And then because Texas has lots of special laws around it, in order to actually do business in Texas, we had to apply to operate as an alien entity in Texas, (laughs) even though the company is registered in Delaware. So... If someone would like to explain that one to me, please do. (laughs) Then we were lucky because both Vina and I were already legally working in the United States. We already had things like social security numbers and driver's licenses, which is really what they needed to put all of the applications through. So we were lucky there that that was already done. But if it wasn't done, we would have had to go on and gone and got all of that paperwork before. Yeah, I really don't know what we would have done without our lawyers. Like they, they really helped us out. But it was just interesting to me that you can found and create a U.S. company without ever being in the United States and without ever having to like legally be here. We could have set this up from Canada. That is weird. Yeah. I had no idea that that was true. Did you ever think about setting it up somewhere like Canada or New Zealand or India or wherever, Spain or where- where you guys are citizens? We did. I, I thought about setting it up in Canada just because I was more familiar with the system. I've already incorporated a company in Canada. So like, she's 28, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> People say that all the time. But go on. Um, so just because I knew what to do and I was like, oh, well, it's it's easy. But we chose the state, the U.S., because we wanted the option of being able to take on investor funding The only way you can do that and keep it really easy for your investors is if you're incorporated in Delaware as a C-Corp. And there's no real way around that unless an investor really loves you. They're not going to go and invest in a, if they're a U.S.-based investor, they're not going to go and invest in a company that's based in Australia. They're going to find like a local way to do that. Mm -hmm. So we just wanted to make it as easy as possible. And, you know, we already stick out enough. We're three women in a tech company in construction. So <laughs> we kind of wanted it to look, at least from the company and corporation perspective, as garden variety as possible. So we did think about it. And there are a lot of opportunities to expand overseas. Like I think we will have offices in Canada, offices in Australia, because they have such great incentive programs to bring businesses there, mm-hmm. which is great if you're an expat thinking of starting a business overseas. Canada and Australia, really great. So is Singapore. They're very friendly for expats that want to start businesses. Is there any way that you would have benefited if you had been born in the United States versus being an expat here instead? So interesting that you bring that up because the only reason we incorporated the way we did 
was because I, at the time of incorporation, knew that I was getting married and would be able to get a green card after we got married. And that would allow me to stay in the, in the country and work on the company. If I had stayed here on my work visa, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So even though I incorporated, we were incorporated in the U.S., I would have had to have left after another year. So if I had been an American, it would have been easier. It would have been less paperwork. And I probably would have done it sooner because I knew I didn't have to get up and leave if I didn't get a green card. Hello, Tiffany here. Breaking into the show briefly to remind you that if you haven't heard our super secret truth or dare episode, it's not too late. After years of hearing me talk about singing opera on the show, you actually made me prove it. On a street corner in Rome, no less. The show is full of truths or dares, and I really hope you won't miss out on hearing it. Here's how you can get it. The first way is to make a donation of $50 or more to The Bittersweet Life. We need your financial support to keep the show going. So this is a win-win for everyone if you love the show. You can find a donation link in our show notes or at thebittersweetlife.net. The second way is to make a recurring monthly donation of $5 or more. Regular donors really help us plan how we will pay the web hosting fees and other bills that come up every month. Just use the same donate link and click recurring donation. It's that simple. The third way is to tell others about the show in a big way. Write a blog post about it. Make a YouTube video. Write an article in your newspaper about it. Whatever you do, share it with us and we will send you the Secret Truth or Dare episode and post your article on our website and social medias. Thank you so, so much for your support of the show. You really are what keeps us going. And now back to the show. Because of your expat background, are you used to working more online or working remotely with people than say the average bear that works in an office? Me specifically, no. I'm good at working online and working remotely, but I'm pretty notorious for when I need to talk to someone. I'm like Skype, video chat, FaceTime, because I want to be able to see them. That freaks a lot of people out. They're like, can't you just like IM me or like send me a message on Slack? And I'm like, no, get on a call. (laughs) (laughs) To me, there's so many things that facial expression and tone and right now you can't see I'm moving my hands wildly and gesturing (laughs) and (laughs) that's just important when you're talking to people and doing business with people so I think I've gotten a lot better at it but definitely didn't come naturally to me so do you have any tips for all of the people listening who maybe don't have the business acumen that you have that just come to mind of how would you advise people who are, whether they be artists or have an idea like yours, an AR idea, where do you even begin trying to sort out how to start a business or make a livelihood remotely? That's a really good question. And I think if you're a creative person, you really love the art and the creative side and that's your jam, I would actually suggest going out and finding a business partner to start the business with. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, but then I have to give away part of what I'm doing. Yes, you do have to compensate the other person somehow, or maybe it's multiple people, but you'll get so much further and do it so much faster if you have that support. There are lots and lots of people out there who are really good at marketing, good at sales, good at business in general, that just do not have the creative side that are looking for people to partner with. That's one way to go about it. And then kind of regardless, actually, I think even if you're the one that comes up with an idea, it is really difficult to be a solopreneur. And some jobs or some ideas kind of warrant it. Like if you want to be a photographer, like a wedding photographer, 
or any kind of photographer, you don't really necessarily need a giant team, but it might still help to have someone like that can act as like an agent for you and help you book the work or whatever. But yes, definitely get support. (laughs) Um, And then, I mean, there, there are some really practical things like making sure that whatever your idea is about, that there's a good market for it. And because the internet is so great now, you can do that in like an afternoon of Googling and checking to see are people searching for this? Is there demand for it? Are people looking for freelancers doing this thing? Not necessarily to take the work, but to go and see like, hey, is there demand for it? Um, before you jump in and like marry the idea and then definitely look around for incentive programs because like I said there's lots of um, opportunities I know um, Singapore and Hong Kong are always looking to bring business to their cities so they offer a lot of incentives for expats and Canada has some as well so does Australia And I'm sure throughout Europe, trying to bring people that are starting businesses and employing people. Generally, if you have a business idea that's going to employ a lot of people, you can find someone that wants to help you out. (laughs) So when you're going back to the Googling to see if it's a thing that people are searching for, how can you tell that? You can look on things like Google Trends. Um, It's literally just like trends.google.com and you put in a search term and it'll tell you over like the last, you can select the time range, but like the last year or five years, like how many people are searching for it. And then just straight up Google search results. Like if you put in a very specific job title or idea, like if you're getting 2 billion results or are you getting 5,000, that should give you an idea as well. And if you're getting 5,000, too niche Probably too niche yeah. But at the same time, if you're getting two billion, a lot of people are searching for it. But if you check on your first page and you have giant recognizable household names, probably too broad. (laughs) Too late, maybe. Yeah, yeah. In the three of you doing this and trying to get investors, have you found certain things that get you more attention, say, than other strategies you've tried? So we found that there is definitely an art to pitching your company and It's not necessarily the way I naturally am. There's a lot of showmanship that goes into it and like making people get excited about your idea and feel like they're missing out because then, you know, they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to invest. That's not naturally how I am. I'm like, here's the data. Here's why this is a good decision. Look at these variables. And that doesn't get people excited. So I've definitely had to learn a bit more about branding and marketing and like, okay, how can we make this the best thing ever? But as far as getting investments and, you know, getting investors excited about what you're doing, there's definitely some entry level requirements that you have to have before they will even take a meeting with you. And and that's really after you get to that point, it's just a matter of taking meetings until you find the right investor for you. And I was getting kind of bummed because we talked to like 20 and no one was really that interested. And then I talked to a fellow entrepreneur who's actually based in San Francisco and they had a space tech startup. And he said they talked to 68 investors and got 68 no's. And it wasn't until their 69th one that they got a yes. Mm -hmm. It's a numbers game. But if you want to take on venture capital, be incorporated a specific way, which is only certain types of companies. And then you have to have an idea or product that is capable of making 10 million to hundreds of millions of dollars in recurring revenue a year. And that is not every idea. 
it's only specific kinds and investors want that so that they get a good return on their investment. So in those all those no's, when you hear that the person doesn't get it till the 69th try, how does that make you feel inside? I mean, it made me feel a lot better at the time. Like in the moment, I was like, oh, good. We're actually not, our batting average isn't actually that bad. Because <laughs> it doesn't feel good. You know, like you take meeting after meeting after meeting. And by the way, no investor ever flat out says, no, we're not interested. They'll say, come back when you're raising your next round or keep me on your update list. Get back to me in a couple weeks and tell me your progress. Mm-hmm. But they won't ever say no, but it's it means no. So it made me feel better at the time. And then I was like, oh, really? Now I have to go find 40 more (laughs) investors to talk to? When you say that, they're like, yeah, 40, fine, whatever. When you have to actually sit down and like fill out an Excel spreadsheet with 40 investors in it, clawing through the internet, trying to find them, it's a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they don't often like it if you cold call them. Investors like warm intros. So not only do you have to find 40 people, you have to find 40 plus connections to get introduced to them. So it was like, okay, I feel better, but we have so much more work ahead of us. (laughs) What would you say is that stretching you the most? I think sales was a bit of a learning curve for me because it's not something that I naturally ran around doing. And I know you hear stories of kids that like they had lemonade stands and car washes and selling pet rocks and things like that. I did some of that, but it doesn't speak to my soul. So I didn't really do it very much. And now, like, you know, we have a team of seven now, and that's still too small to have a salesperson. So I'm sales and learning all of the things that you do now that I'm aware of it. I see it all the time on Facebook or when I'm on a website and like something pops up to put in your email address, learning how to do all of those things, sales funnels and click funnels and changing your messaging and your marketing instead of just being like, hey, here's our company. Here we are to hey, here's this thing that you really need. Please click on it and buy it. Mm-hmm. Learning all of that, I was so resistant to it because to me, a lot of it feels like kind of icky. I don't want to force someone to come to my website if they don't want to, but that's what everyone does. That's how you sell things. Mm-hmm. You know, how often do you click on something and you're like, oh, that's a cute pair of shoes. They did that on purpose. And I know that, but I did not go gentle into that good night. So... <laughs> So why, I mean, you have a good job, and this is a great idea, I think, but you have a good job, you you get to move all across the world. Why are you trying to also have an investment company? I think the reason we wanted to also do this was because this idea came from my experience on the job. So when I was working in Australia, like I said, I was I was working on site as a commissioning engineer, and the work that I was doing was very analog. It was very paper-based, and it was very slow and I was sitting there and I, I'm, you know, I was 22 when I arrived on site. I had that millennial moment where I'm like, there's no more school. There's no more gold stars. This is just it. Like this is the job. And uh, <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I can push paper for the rest of my life, especially when I know it's not necessary. So while I have a good job that I could keep doing till I retire, there's an opportunity here to go build something that's way bigger than me that can have a huge impact on the industry have a huge impact on people's lives like on their quality of work the quality of their work life and now we're looking at expanding that even into regular everyday life I'm gonna regret it if I don't try so I wanted to try it's been a journey so far and there's still a lot more to go but 
I, I wouldn't trade the experience for anything. Yeah, you're, you're a different person now than when you started, you would say. Yes, completely. And actually, the idea for this, I poached my co-founder. <laughs> I pitched the idea. I bought a pitch deck to a ladies coloring night. We were drinking wine and coloring in adult coloring books. And after everyone had had, had like two glasses, I was like, okay, guys, I need to practice this pitch. Can you just listen to me for five minutes? And I ran through the deck. And then the person that is now my co-founder came up to me afterwards and she's like, that's a cool idea. Do you want help with this? Do you want to do this together? Those conversations that we had in the early days, we were in a coffee shop going through a PowerPoint printout. If those girls had heard the conversations that we have today about the business, it would have been like a foreign language. It was crazy. Just over two years, how much things have changed. Wow, that's amazing. So before we have to end, you were mentioning an article that to me while we were texting back and forth, figuring out how to get together that I thought would be kind of fun to talk about. Yeah, and I will send you the link to this so that we can reference it like in the show notes or something. But a couple of weeks ago, one of my expat friends, there's a group of us in Houston, sent a, an article to our group chat about why people get addicted to travel. It is quite a long article, I will warn you, but it's worth reading. And kind of the Cliff Notes synopsis was people, I guess, get complacent with their daily routine. And one of the ways to shake that up, instead of looking inward at like, hey, what's going on here? They're like, no, it's the place. It's just this place. I can't be here anymore. So they look to go somewhere else. And I think the example in the article was there's a little like cartoon and the person moves to Japan. And when they get to Japan, everything's new and different and exciting. And you have to relearn how to do everything. Relearn how to go to the grocery store. You have to relearn how to, I was going to say buy a newspaper, but no one buys newspapers anymore. Um, <laughs> Everybody in the newspaper industry just went, aw. Hey, I'm a journalist. I know the pain. <laughs> like, believe me, I, I, when I, I was in Omaha, Nebraska a couple months ago, and their, I think it's the Omaha Herald, their newspaper still has a tower in downtown with the name on it. And I took pictures. I was like, look, guys, it's still alive. <laughs> um, so maybe not buy, maybe buy a newspaper and, and even how to get to work, like how to use public transit. You have to completely learn it all over again. And it's all new and shiny and like, you know, really cool. You get to find new restaurants to go to, like instead of going and getting the same boring takeout every week, you're going to like these great new restaurants in Japan and eating things you've never heard of before. But then after a while, things start to get a little bit more familiar and you they're not as shiny anymore and even though you take like you might be taking the bullet train to work that still is starts to become mundane and then this is the part that resonated with me it's like you start looking to go somewhere else because you're like oh this wasn't the place now this is boring let's shake it up and go somewhere else and the problem isn't the place it's that you're getting bored with your job and your job routine or whatever that means whatever that looks like for you and this article I feel like was specifically targeting people that work in a like nine to five office situation because I know if you work from home things are different every day but it was sort of a very sobering article because especially to the group of people that read it because they were like oh this is definitely us you know you get start getting like itchy feet and you want to go somewhere is it because because you want to explore a new culture or are you just bored bored with your personal life or bored with your work or a combination of both and you just want to try something new everyone was just reading it for like 20 minutes and it was kind of crickets and everyone was like mm, yeah 
definitely been not maybe not every move but like sometimes you're like yeah i've definitely done this it was interesting especially with this expat community has that ever happened or is that one of the answers for what is travel addiction were they saying that it was a bad thing not necessarily but i think it could be a bad thing if you just keep bouncing around and nowhere is clicking at all then you know it's not the place it's something with you i've lived in a lot of places that i don't necessarily want to live in forever at the same time know that sometimes it's not the place it's definitely me but at the same time as a person who's moved your whole life more moves than most people will ever make so far and you still have a lot of life to live would you say that it is in you i guess the way that life has been or the way life is for you i was actually thinking about this earlier today because for me i think the traveling and the moving has become part of my process I am so much more creative when I go somewhere that is unfamiliar to me and it doesn't necessarily have to be like a nice beach vacation, just anywhere that's not what I usually see. It helps take all of those filters off of your perception and I come back so much more creative with ideas and things that I want to do or work on and it's just become part of how I operate. So to a degree, I think, yes, you're right. It's just part of who I am now. And I know like if I had to, like if moving was just not in the cards, I'd find another way to get inspired to be creative. But for now, I mean, I have that. So I'm probably going to keep using that as a travel crutch. I mean, but in the hope of starting this company, is there a part of you that thinks if this company takes off and I'm running a company of hundreds of people, that maybe it wouldn't be such a bad thing to be, to stay somewhere? It would be necessary to have to have some kind of base and... I've seen other people running similar companies and I know there's so much travel involved just to run the company, like the meetings you have to take and clients you have to visit. I know there's a ton of travel in there anyway, so I'd still get my fix, but it definitely helps to have a stable base for a while, especially when you're spinning it up. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, we'll have to read that article and maybe we can actually call up some of the people who or the person who wrote it and get them on. That'd be interesting. So do you have any final words that you want to say? And maybe we'll check in, have you on again a year or two from now and see what you're up to? Yeah, I can check in. We'll check in in another year, see how the company's going. Yeah, right. <laughs> Where I'm living. Where you're living. Yeah, if you're still in Houston. And uh, you might be starting to show up in the credits of this very show since you've volunteered to help us out with a few businessy things since you've noticed over the years that we don't have very much business acumen. <laughs> I've listened to every single episode of this show and it was it is honestly like the least I can do for you guys. Well, it means the world to us because really as a two-person show all along, you know how nice it is to have somebody offer to help. So thank you so much and thanks for meeting me in San Francisco. It was a random surprise, but I love it. You're welcome. No, it was so great to see you in person and, and get to chat. And in San Francisco, it, it was beautiful today. I know. Thanks again, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening and for telling a friend about the show. And thank you for your support financially. We can't wait to write you a handwritten thank you note to show you how much it means to us. You are spreading the word, and supporting the show financially directly affects whether or not this program continues. So if you love it, support it. Find a donate link at thebittersweetlife.net or in our show notes. Thank you so much for taking the time. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.